0: Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, happy, happy Father's Day to all the dads who are in here. You do tremendous work, so when you go home, guys, mothers and kids, please spoil your fathers, okay? Um, Today we're going to be in the book of John, John chapter 3. We're going to focus on verse 14 and 15. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I have titled the message... This morning, the snake that saves. The snake that saves. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you open our ears to hear, our eyes to see what you have for us and for your kingdom. Therefore, as we dove into your word, I pray, Lord, that may the meditation of my mind and the words of my mouth be acceptable unto you, my God and my redeemer. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. John 3:14 and 15. We're going to start at the beginning. Yeah, we see a guy by the name of Nicodemus, John three verse one. Nicodemus is going to come to Jesus. Nicodemus happens to be a Pharisee, and he's a teacher, and he's a member of the Sanhedrin at the same time. To understand the the Sanhedrin is basically the equivalent of uh, the Supreme Court here in America. So this guy would have been the justice there. And you can only imagine how, how huge he was in his community. In verse 2, he comes talking to to Jesus in a a basic, complimentary statement. He said to Jesus, you must be from God because the miracles that you're doing, it has to be from God. You've been sent from him. And Jesus, in verse 3, responds to Nicodemus. And uh, the response that Jesus gave to Nicodemus is a a little bit interesting because Jesus is answering the question that Nicodemus didn't even ask to start with. In verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? Where, Where did that come from? I tell you the truth. Nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Why is Jesus saying that? Well, at the end of John chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says Jesus knows our hearts. He knows everything. He knows our inner core intentions. And at this particular time, Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart and Jesus came to the very core of his problem. He knew him. What was the problem? He was a Pharisee, as I said. And Pharisees, they thought that the physical outlook and the keeping of religious laws qualified them for the entrance into the kingdom of God rather than the need for spiritual transformation. And Jesus said, if you are to go into the kingdom, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus, in verse 5 of John 3, he goes on to expand a little bit more. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. What Jesus is trying to do there, he's trying to connect with Nicodemus. He's using words of the Old Testament that represents the renewal of the mind and the heart and the spirit. Because every single time in the Bible, when water is used, it most refers to the renewal of the spiritual cleansing, especially when used in conjunction with the Spirit. So Jesus here says, I must be crucified. I must go on that cross. I must be, you must be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, how can this be? Right? Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was a Pharisee. He must have read the Old Testament. You would think he might have maybe read the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 and 26 and 27, where the Bible talks about God sprinkling clean water on his people and that he will clean his people from all the impurities and idols. You must think he knows this. In verse 9, Nicodemus comes again. He says, how can this be? <laughs> He's all put together physically. He's a Pharisee, all looking good. Maybe coming to church every Sunday. But his spiritual heart is dead. He can't see the things of God. He can't hear what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is like, who is this guy? And in verse 10 of John chapter 3, Jesus say, you're a teacher in Israel, Right? You're a teacher. Yet You cannot understand these things. I mean, you are highly regarded. You can't understand what I'm saying. How about the rest of the people in Israel? If you can't get it. And then in verse 12, Jesus tells Nicodemus that I'm telling you about the things of this world. Physical birth. you got to be born again. I'm telling you that you have to be born of water and spirit. Water, it's here. They're they're the things of this earth. I'm talking to you about earthly things, yet you don't get it. What if I tell you about things of heaven? Are you going to get it? And then it comes to verse 13, and verse 13 is pivot. Verse 13 is very important because Jesus says no one can ever No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. No one, right? What Jesus is trying to say here, he's saying nobody has come from heaven to come here on earth to teach you and to tell you the things that I'm about to do in verse 14 and 15. Only the Son of Man. Jesus is changing the story here. From verse 3 to verse 12, Jesus is just a teacher. He's just a rabbi, right? He's teaching Nicodemus how you can be saved. But Jesus, in verse 13, he's moving from explaining the process of salvation into pointing Nicodemus to the subject and object of salvation itself. And that's Christ. And in verse 14, and 15 is the pure gospel. The gospel that changes everything. I think it changed Nicodemus big time. (laughs) Because we're going to see him later on in the book. He comes and took big risks for Jesus. I I think you can't take big risks unless you believe. I think he did. So we're going to read that verse 14 and 15. Before we do, Jesus teaches us in the Bible that there are pointers, their are types, and there are foreshadows of himself everywhere. Paul says when Moses hit the rock in the Old Testament and water came out for the people to drink, the rock was Christ. So Jesus knows the story in the Old Testament about the serpent, about the snake lifted up, and he's going to for himself. He's going to compare himself to that snake. And here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, just as Moses. What happened there, right? Let's go to Numbers to understand what happened there. It's a simple story, quick, self contained The nation of Israel, they're coming from Egypt, going to Canaan. They're walking in the wilderness. They're completely, they've lost their patience. They're talking bad things about God and his servant Moses. And here's what they said. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. That's manna. God's provision for his people. And God is angry with the people. He sent some snakes, and the snakes are biting people. People are dying, and they realize, oh, we messed up. They go to Moses, go pray to God so the snakes can go away. Poor guy Moses, go back to Jesus. Praise to Jesus, I mean to God, and as always, as always, as his nature, God forgives the people. And he sends a solution to the problem in the camp of snakes. Here's what God said to Moses as a solution. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is beaten can look at it and leave. So Moses made a bronze snake, and put it up on a pole. Then, when anyone was beaten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Wow. This morning, my friends, we're going to look at two realities about Jesus who was lifted up as a snake. Two realities from verse 14 and 15 that will help you and me to keep our trust in Jesus, to keep our faith in Jesus, to believe in Him at all times for our own spiritual salvation. Two realities about the cross, about Jesus being lifted up there that will help you and myself to look at Jesus. To believe in him for our spiritual cleansing. And the first one is that Jesus in the place of a snake became the worst just to bring the best for his people. Jesus in the place of a snake became the worst just to bring the best for his people. Verse 14, we read... Jesus comparing himself to a snake by saying, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Go back there to the Old Testament. The snake is a cursed creature. When Adam and Eve sinned, the snake was in the middle of it. And God said to the snake, Because you have done this, because you've made my people to fall into this sin... Cursed are you above all livestock and all world animals. Now, in the book of Exodus, the people have sinned and God is angry. He's punishing them with the snakes. They realize we've messed up, we've made a mistake. They go to Moses, confess. God is saying, All right, I'm going to have grace on you. I'm going to bring you a snake. Put it up. If the snake bites you, you look at that snake, you're going to be saved. Right? If you're in the city, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. It's going to bite you. But if you've been beaten by the snake, you look at the cross, you are going to be served. Now the question can be, why did God use a snake? I mean, these are the Jews, right? They don't do snakes. <laughs> they don't do snakes. Throughout the Bible, we don't see them using a snake to sacrifice for their purification of their sins. You tell me about a lamb, I get it. Snakes? No. (laughs) Remember Isaac? He's going with his dad for the sacrifice. He asked his father, Dad, we have wood, firewood, lighter, but where is this sacrificial lamb? They don't do snakes. You see, God is choosing to use the worst creature to bring the best In the lives of his people who are dying from the venom. Only if they look at the snake. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus that just as Moses lifted up that snake, he must also be lifted up as a cursed snake. So that he and all those that believe can be saved. You see, the cross that Jesus died... It's, it's not meant for good people. <laughs> it was meant for bad people, killers and robbers and thieves. right? You remember on the cross the thief looked at Jesus and said, "Hey, I hear you're a Messiah, right? What if you serve yourself an ass?" And the other guy on the other side said, "We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserved." But this man has done nothing wrong, right? So Christ became a curse. He became a sin for you and me today. He, came, he became a, si- a curse for Nicodemus himself. Galatians 3.13, Paul says this, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the pole. Everyone who hangs on the pole. So Jesus became the case so that he can bring the greatest changing story ever. You see, it might not be a cool thing to compare the Son of Man with a snake, but at the same time, it is the only thing that saves you and me from our contamination from sin. It is the only way. The cross is where we can look when we feel like there's nothing I can do on my own Paul in Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5:21 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God Nicodemus I got to be lifted up there i got to feel the pain, the whole weight of God's wrath is going to be on me so that when you realize you need me, as we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. You don't sing that song if you don't know that you have a problem in you. You only sing in humble reliance on Jesus to say, God, I need you. And when you do, you look up to the cross and you become the righteousness. You take the righteousness of Jesus, right? Galatians 3.20, Paul says, I have been crucified together with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ lives in me. He lives in me. So Christ became a curse just to save you and myself only if we look and believe. He's going to save you. It's not a heart surgery. It's only to look. And believe that I'm a sinner. Not only do we see that Christ became a curse, became the worst, so that we can be the best, so that he can bring us the best news ever. But secondly, we see in verse 15 of John chapter 3 that Jesus, in the place of a snake, is the source of healing and salvation only to those, again, who look and believe. He's the healing. He's the cure. You see, back to that story of Moses lifting up the snake because the snakes are killing everybody in the city. The snake lifted up is not a preventative, right? Right? It's, it's there to cure you. If, you. if you got beaten, you look up to the cross, no more dying. If you don't look, you die, right? It's not a preventative. I don't know about some of you, but I got a job, right? Um, vaccine. And I got Pfizer. And that vaccine is designed to be a preventative of some percentage to COVID. It's not the cure. If I got COVID and I'm like, give me the vaccine, it's not going to work. Because it's not designed to cure. It's preventative only. My daughter, Neri, two weeks ago, she had a pink eye. If parents, you understand this. It's not fun. <laughs> if uh, you haven't, uh, I had to be the bad news bearer. It might come. So get ready. Um, But uh, she had a pink eye, and we had to go to the doctors. And uh, the doctor diagnosed her, gave her a prescription, sent us to CVS to get the prescription, and told us exactly what we got to do with her. And they say, if you do this within 24 hours to 48 hours, she's going to be no more contagious. She can go play with her friends. We gave her the medication. Within 24, 48 hours, everything was clear. She got cured. The medication that they gave is a cure to the disease that my daughter had. We told her, you're free from this disease. Go play with your cousins, right? You're good to go. The snake was not a preventative. It was a pure cure. You look, you get healed. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus that everyone who's going to believe on me, lifted up there, is going to be free. He's going to be saved from their spiritual blindness. You see, he who sent the snakes in the Old Testament, he was the same one who provided the remedy through the snake. It was God himself that found the ransom. Jesus is telling Nicodemus in verse 15 that whosoever is going to believe in him hanging will have eternal life in him. Because the deadly and destructive nature of sin is like the pain of the biting of a fiery snake. The power of sin corrupting us is like the venom diffused in us. And the powerful remedy provided against this fatal venom of sin in us is the Son of Man. Lift it up. He's a cure. You see, Jesus came for those who have been beaten and are polluted by the poison of sin. And God is the doctor who prescribed the antidote for the poison of sin through Christ. And that prescription will only be obtained by faith in Christ, lifted up. God knew the fallen condition of Nicodemus. And Jesus was the prescription for the renewal and the healing of his spiritual life. You see, friends, Jesus came to seek and to save the children of man from death and recover them to life. He is the complete and total cure. In the Old Testament, where we just read, God the snake, no more dying, right? In New Testament, God, Jesus, no more spiritual death. He is the ultimate ultimate cure. This week, I was uh, a little blessed. I read a story of what I'll call one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He had been looking for the meaning of what it means to be born again. He was looking for things that he could do to be saved. His father was a pastor, so he had read a lot of books. At the age of 15, he was a smart, brilliant guy, but he he was not saved at all. And uh, in his uh, autobiography, he wrote this, and it was just a mayor man in a punitive Methodist chapel who actually pointed him to the cross and he got saved. And I want to read you the short story that he wrote there. It goes like this. He writes, I would have been in darkness and despair had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm on a Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. I turned down a side street and come to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they make people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me that, I did not care how much they made my head ache. The minister did not come that morning. He was snored up, I guess. At last, a very thin-looking man went up into the pulpit to preach. The text was from Isaiah. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began by saying, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking doesn't take a lot. It's not lifting your foot or lifting your finger. It is just looking. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourself, but it's of no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourself. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend into heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Then at the end of his teaching, he looked at me under the garrie. Just fixing his eyes on me, as if, as if he knew all my heart, he said, "Young man, you look very miserable." Well, I did, but I wasn't used to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, struck right home. He continued by saying, "You'll always be miserable." Miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you'll be saved. And lifting his hands, he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. At once, I saw the way of salvation. I don't know what else I said. Or what has he said? I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like when the bronze serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. The cloud was gone, the darkness had roared away, and at that very moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and signed with the most enthusiastic of them all of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to Him. From that day, redeeming love has been my theme, and it shall be. You see, friends, that's, that's where you point people at. You point people to the cross. Because salvation is only by grace and faith alone in Him. It's not by works. It's not by your rest. It's not by your occupation. It doesn't matter what you do. It's not through the financial status. It does not matter how much money you have, you can't buy salvation. Salvation is only obtained when we believe in Him. Or when we keep our eyes on Jesus, who became the sin for us and lifted up. That's how you get saved. And you might be here this morning. Maybe you have friends that you're praying for. You've tried to explain. About God, about how they can be saved. You're like they just—it's it's getting here, it's going out that way. I pray that you point them to the cross. Just tell them to believe. It's not a hard surgery process. You don't do the believing. God does the the the, 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 the believing. All you got to do is point them to the cross. And for those who haven't made the decision yet. You're still struggling. You don't have the assurance that you have a relationship with Christ. I call you to that cross. Look, there is hope. We see hope here for Nicodemus. Jesus is the one we have to look unto. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how we thank you because of your love. Oh, how we thank you because of your everlasting, consistent, never-changing love for your people. Thank you for always forgiving our sins when we call up to you. And thank you for saving us and showing us that only the cross has the power to save, as you showed Nicodemus. So as we go into the week Oh, may you help us to remember that it's only by the cross that we are saved and nothing else. And if an opportunity comes to point our friends to the cross, may we point to that snake that was lifted because that's the only hope for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As the team will be leading us into the fourth and fifth song, I ask you uh, to to give uh, generously uh, to the work of.